Well, some of the most powerful songs have certainly been written in the darkest moments of life. I think of the uh, hymn of some years ago by Spafford, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of you know that story, and uh, he went through some major loss. I think he lost a son. He lost all of his investments in the Chicago fire. He was on his way. He was going to go to hear D.L. Moody preach, and uh, he got caught up in business. He sent his wife and four daughters to go hear D.L. Moody, and they were on a ship, and it was struck by another ship and quickly sunk. He lost all four of his daughters in that accident. His wife had to send send him a telegram saying that all of his daughters were dead. Very devastating. And in the wake of that devastation, he wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Pretty amazing. Uh, Many of you have seen recently the movie, I Can Only Imagine. And that is the uh, story of uh, Bart Millard. And if you saw, saw the movie, Bart was really abused as a child. His dad was lost. His dad was the last person that you would ever imagine would meet Jesus, but he did. And uh, he got a diagnosis that he had cancer, and all of a sudden he decided that he wanted to turn his life around. He started listening to preaching on the radio, and Bart had been singing in some churches, but his dad acted like he didn't care. In fact, his dad, because Bart was interested in theater and music, his dad really kind of communicated that he was a sissy. But Bart had an amazing voice, and in the wake of Uh, reconciliation with his father that abused him as a kid and the fact that his dad became a Christian at the end of his life he wrote the song I can only imagine thinking about his dad being in heaven and experiencing the grace of God that he had accepted through the gospel there's other songs that I can think of for example Jeremy Camp wrote a song I still believe and I believe that that song was written as his uh, wife or girlfriend I'm trying to remember exactly was dying of cancer at a very young age. And the song that we just sang uh, at the end of this uh, time of music, I Am Not Forsaken, was penned by Shane Lance, our own worship leader, when our family was going through a difficult time and we had some difficult medical things that were going on within the family. And Shane uh, was sitting before the Lord one night and the Lord reminded him of Hebrews 13, that he will never forsake us. And so there's some amazing songs that have been penned in the lowest points of life. I, I was a new Christian uh, way back in the day. I was in my early 20s. And I wasn't a guy who read very much. And I, w- I certainly wasn't interested in poetry. <laughs> but I was a, a, you know, a football, baseball kind of guy, motorcycles, that kind of thing. Well, as I became a Christian, the Lord started, started giving me poems, poetry. And... I told a friend one day, I said, I'm getting poem after poem from the Lord about what he's done for me in my life. I don't know where these poems are coming from. And my friend said, yes, you do. And I said, yes, I do. They're coming from the Lord and a grateful heart for all he's done for me. It's amazing how one song can capture in three or four minutes, you know, what we feel in our hearts. And some of you have, you know, Christian songs that mean a whole lot to you. They may be from, you know, decades ago. They may be newer songs. They may be an old hymn. But it seems like whenever that song plays for me, and there, I have many of them, it ministers to me like few things can in this world. There's something about a Christian song, especially directed at God's goodness 
his nature and grace that speak. And so Jonah actually penned a song. It's called Jonah's Song or Jonah's Psalm. The word for psalm in the Bible, we have 150 psalms. Uh, scholars call the, the book of psalms the Psalter. But it was really the songbook of Israel. And there were specific songs that they sang at specific festivals or uh, religious occasions. They had seven feasts during their calendar year. And they would, they would have specific songs, for example, for the Passover called the Hallel Psalms or the Hallelujah Psalms and different ones when you approach the temple and so forth. Well, in Jonah 2, we're going to see that Jonah pens a psalm or a song at the darkest part of his life. I would encourage you to be thinking about a song that you could write that might express your gratitude to God and what God's done in your life, maybe even in the darkest moment. You never know how that can minister to yourself or to others. Just to catch up for a second, the end of Jonah 1, verse 17, tells us that after Jonah had run from God, the Lord, Jonah 1, 17, appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, last time we were in the book of Jonah, that's where we left off, that Jonah had been swallowed by a sea monster. It's not necessarily a whale, but they do say that the sperm whale, a certain species of the sperm whale, has a mouth as big as a large room in your house. So there's no doubt that a whale and even species of sharks could swallow a man. And there are anecdotal stories. That means, you know, stories from other people that not, are not necessarily verified with pictures and that kind of thing, told of men who were swallowed by major sea creatures and lived to tell the tale. Some of those are debated but we know it's certainly possible for this to occur. We don't know if it was a whale or just some other large fish, but we know that the Lord appointed the fish to swallow Jonah because Jonah ended up in the sea in his rebellion. And he found himself in the stomach of the great fish. I don't know how desperate you would be if you found yourself there, but I think my prayer life would improve about 100%. If I found myself in the middle of the fish, especially if I realized that I was there because of my own rebellion towards God. And that is the case of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He knew the Lord, but he didn't want to cooperate with the Lord's call in his life. And more times than not, I believe that when a group of this gathers on a Sunday morning, a group like this, and we speak of things like this, typically, I believe, I'm not speaking largely to non-Christians. I think I'm speaking to a lot of Christians who have gone wayward multiple times in their lives. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think in small ways and big ways, we all can wander from the Lord. Sometimes we just don't like what He has to say, or we don't want to, you know, uh, align our lifestyle to what the Bible says in certain areas. Let's face it. And so we run and we rebel. And we're always the worst for it, but we do it. We are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. But it is the human predicament or dilemma, even after being born again of the Holy Spirit, to be a wanderer to not walk in close fellowship with the Lord. We all have our reasons. Some of us have been hurt. 
by Christians. Some of us have had bad experiences. Some of us have had our doubts in dark seasons, probably a lot like Jonah. And so from the midst of the stomach of the fish, Jonah prayed. That's Jonah 2.1, then Jonah prayed. This appears to be the first time in the whole story that he prayed. <laughs> Even the pagans were praying, remember? He was down underneath in the ship sleeping and the pagans were saying in the midst of the storm, hey, call out to your God. Hopefully one of these gods is real. Well, Jonah came clean and said, I do serve the living God who made the earth and the seas and so forth. I know this is happening because of me. What should we do? Well, throw me overboard and the sea will become calm for you. And so Jonah went into the water. Don't know if he had Hebrew swimming lessons or not. But he found himself in the midst of the sea. Once he was there, the Lord calmed the sea. But the Lord had appointed a fish for Jonah. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. That's Jonah 2.1. Now there's been a lot of debate in the church of what's the best place to pray. Should you go into your closet and pray? You know, should you pray in small groups? I'll tell you. There's probably no better motivating place to, put, to pray than from the stomach of a fish. How urgent would your prayers be at that point? You know, sometimes we pray before a meal and we're like, you know, Lord, Lord, you know, rub-a-dub, thanks for the grub, you know, whatever we say. But if you're in the stomach of a fish, your prayers are passionate and to the point. How? And he prayed to the Lord his God. The Lord is my shepherd. There was already a relationship there. He was already Jonah's God. The problem wasn't that there wasn't a relationship. The problem was Jonah wasn't cooperating. And God is God. And so God got the prophet's attention, no doubt. We should say that the fish even though we could see the fish as a punishment, was actually Jonah's salvation in many ways. The Lord was his salvation, but the fish saved him from the sea and actually would get him to his intended destination. Elihu, who speaks in the book of jo uh, Job, says, But no one says, Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? For you note-takers, verses 2 through 9 of Jonah 2 are called Jonah's song. Here's what it says. And he said, Jonah said, I called out, verse 2, out of my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Thou did hear my voice. Now as Jonah was in his distress, and some believe that the opening parts of this are his experience in the sea, that could be debated. But Jonah begins to cry out to the Lord. Just because the Lord intervenes in your life and maybe turns you around, gets your attention, doesn't mean that his tool will be a luxury yacht or a five-star hotel. Sometimes the Lord will use a tight spot or a tight place or a tight situation to get your attention. And even though the Lord hadn't given up on Jonah by appointing the fish, that meant that he cared about Jonah. He could have just said, I'll get somebody else, let him die. But he appointed a fish out of his mercy. And Jonah ended up there in a tight spot. Sometimes the Lord saves us, but uses tight, uncomfortable circumstances to get us to look to him again. It's happened to me many times. I'm sure it's happened to you 
as well. Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 71 of the same psalm says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. One author called this the Whaleway Express. Jonah got the most unusual ticket with the most unusual ride. But God was behind the whole thing. Psalm 5.2 says, Heed the sound of my cry for help, my God and my King. For to thee do I pray. Would you hold your place in Jonah? Go back a little bit to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 40. There's a similarity between Psalm 40 and Jonah's uh, prayer, specifically the verse that we just read. And it would appear that Jonah was familiar with the Psalms. He knew the Word of God, and of course he was a prophet. And I want you to see between what we just read and Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, the similarity. This is from David. But David found himself in many tight spots, and here's what he says. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, Psalm 40, verse 1, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm, Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. Simply put, Jonah cried out back to the book of Jonah. He said, Lord, save me. I called out of my distress, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and he heard my voice. You might be asking, what is Sheol? What does that mean? Well, as you study the Bible, Sheol is the Hebrew uh, equivalent to the New Testament Greek Hades. Hades, in Greek thought, was the underworld for departed spirits. It was the place of the departed dead. In Christian thought, Hades could include a compartment for the righteous and a compartment for the wicked. One of the accounts we have in the Bible in Luke 16 is two men who die. One is in Abraham's bosom or at Abraham's side, and the other man is in, a, in some sort of torment. And there's a chasm between the two. There are many scholars that believe that's Hades. It's the place of departed spirits prior to the cross and the resurrection that shows you a separation between those who knew God and those who rejected God. That's one uh, school of thought. Hades could also represent the physical grave. Many times in the Old Testament, it simply represents the grave. But oftentimes, it represents a place where you have gone in your spirit and in this case, Sheol would represent the lowest low where heaven would be the highest high. So Jonah, in this sense, has gone as low as one can go. There are many scholars that look at the story of Jonah since it is tied to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great sea monster three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. You want a sign? Here's the sign, says Jesus. And so Jonah, some believe he went through a death and a resurrection. We don't have enough evidence to know if that's true or not, but there are some that believe that Jonah died in the belly of the sea monster and was resurrected. Either way, here's what we do know. If you saw a friend, let's say you were on a ship, 
let's say you went on a cruise and one of your buddies was dangling over the edge, <laughs> doing one of those silly things, fell off, and a huge sea monster swallowed your friend. <laughs> Would you expect to see your friend again? I think not. <laughs> I think right there we'd start to play some funeral music, right? it's over i'm sorry he was gulped down and in the same way when jesus went into the tomb what did the disciples do the great disciples it's over it's all over i'm going fishing man and just like jesus going into the tomb it wasn't expected that he would come out but in three days jesus what rose from the dead and in three days and three nights the same timeline jonah came out of a place you don't expect the person to come out of out of a fish a big fish and that is the miracle connected to jesus's death and resurrection jonah continues in jonah 2 3 he says you cast me into the deep into the heart of the sea the current, Jonah 2.3, engulfed me. The floods surrounded me. All thy breakers and billows passed over me. If you have an NIV, it says, all your waves and breakers swept over me. Of all, there's 10 Hebrew words that could be used here for the flood, or uh, the word flood, and it was almost as if multiple rivers were hitting Jonah at the same time, or at least that's how he felt in the sea. How many of you have ever been you went out maybe body surfing or you tried to surf or go on a boogie board and you got caught in the washing machine. Anybody out there? I used to surf with some buddies. We went to Mexico and Newport Beach. And the worst was when you got your leash caught with another surfer's leash. Because then surfboards were flying around and you were caught, your leash was caught with your buddy. And if it was a big wave day, it seemed like you would... The wave would come and you'd be under the water. And just as you, here comes another one. We used to call that the washing machine. Well, that's how Jonah felt. Psalm 42, 7 says, Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, the help of my countenance and my God. That was from Psalm 42, 7 through 11. Sometimes when we get to a place where we're so low that it seems hopeless, sometimes we even give up on praying. I don't know if you find yourself there this morning, but sometimes we can find ourselves at the lowest place where we've given up on going to church, we've given up on, you know, reading our Bibles. We, we just say, man, I don't know what God's doing in my life. Jonah says, I said, verse 4, I've been expelled from thy sight. But Jonah made a decision, and some of you need to make this decision right now. Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jesus said to Peter in Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. 
And Peter, after that denial, went out and wept bitterly. And he may have thought to himself, I have failed the one that I should have loved the most. When, all, when I made a declaration, though all forsake you, I will not. I believed I would stand. But Jesus knew that he was going to fall. Satan had been asking for him to sift him as wheat. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. I will look again. This is a great expression of faith for Jonah. He said, despite where I am, despite this tight place, despite I could lose all hope and just roll over and die in the midst of this sea monster, I'm going to pray. And do you know that a lot of people's trajectory of their life, their faith has been renewed in some of the hardest places, hospital beds, difficult seasons. In Jonah 2.5 it says, Water encompass me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I had a seaweed turban, says Jonah. I was staring, you could, you could put it this way, I was staring death in the face. And when that's happening, it certainly makes you look deeply at what you believe. I descended to the roots of the mountains. Look at verse 6. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou has brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Take a look at your Bible. See the roots of the mountains there? Jonah had apparently sunk deep, that, so deep that he descended to the roots of the mountains. That means the base foundation stones under the sea. This is from a commentary by Henry Morris. He says, So far as we know, the people of Jonah's day had no way of exploring the ocean floor so did not know that coastal mountain ranges extended below the adjacent ground level and on down to the bottom of the sea. Yet Jonah could actually see that this was the case and so mentioned it even in his prayer or his song. How did he know that? How did he know that the roots of the mountains went down like this? Because all scripture is inspired by God and is breathed out or profitable. He says in the NIV version, I sank down and the earth beneath me barred me in forever. There are some that believe that Jonah descended to the gates of Sheol or the gates of Hades or the underworld, and he was about to be moved from the land of the living to the realm of the dead. In Psalm 16, 10 and 11, David, using similar language to Jonah, says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your sight, or in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That psalm, Psalm 16, 10, and 11, is spoken of the Messiah in the book of Acts, that he would, his soul would not be abandoned to Sheol or Hades. And so he would come back from the dead. And Jonah says, while I was fainting away, verse 7, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee, into thy holy temple. When my soul fainted within me, Jonah was dying or slipping away. He prayed to God, and the Lord heard his prayer. This is about as desperate as you can get, but I've watched it many times as a pastor that this is often where people decide to truly follow God. 
And if I invited you guys to come up and speak this morning, some of you would have your faith story that's turned in a moment of personal crisis. Or maybe you weren't sure if you were going to keep living on this planet. Maybe you weren't sure you were going to have another day to love your wife or love your family. And all of a sudden, your mortality brings things into perspective, doesn't it? When you know you have a limited time to do what you have been called to do on this planet, to redeem your life for God, to love the people around you, love them well, and not take that you've got tomorrow for granted to do this. Well, there's no better place in in terms of Jonah to face that reality, right? He didn't know if he was coming out of there. All he knew was, right now, I want to get right with God because I don't want it to end this way. I don't want my life story to be that I was swallowed by a fish while running away from God. End of story. That's not how you want your story to end, do you? You want to finish well. So I'm sure Jonah was praying for mercy. Jonah was honest. He cried out to God, look at verse 8, and he repented. He said, those who regard vain idols, King James says lying vanities, forsake their faithfulness. Hebrew word has said, they forsake covenant loyalty. Jonah had been disloyal to God. He had watched people on a ship who were pagans cry out to false gods and goddesses and they could not deliver. He had run away from God rather than bringing the good news of the gospel to people who worshipped false gods and goddesses. And he said, look, I realize if you put idols before God, whatever they may be, you're in trouble. And Jonah would have to include himself in that. If you are going to follow God, please hear this. You must forsake your idols. You have to. You can't keep your idols in a closet somewhere for the next convenient use and be sincere about walking with Jesus Christ. It just doesn't work. You're going to be in a compromise. So Jonah said, look, idols need to go. What's an idol? Anything that we put equal with God or above God. And so a couple verses from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 45, let's turn over there just a few pages back. Isaiah 45, getting used to uh, cross-referencing your Bible is an awesome thing as you study the Word of God. Look at Isaiah 45. In these chapters, the true God, the God of the Bible, is really challenging false gods. That's chapters 40 through 48 of Isaiah, but just to cut to the chase, this is 4520, 4520 of Isaiah. God says to the false gods, 45.20, Gather yourselves and come, draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. 40.21 of Isaiah. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and Savior, there is none except me. Turn to me, 22, and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is, what's your Bible say? There is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow. This is said of Jesus in Philippians 2, which is another evidence that Jesus is God. That to me every knee will bow, 
and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Next chapter is Isaiah 46. Look at verse 5. 46, 5. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god, and they bow down. Indeed, they worship it. They lift it upon their shoulder, upon the shoulder, and carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Turn back to the book of Jonah. If you have to carve out your God, carry it on your shoulder, put it on a pedestal, and make sure it doesn't totter, you may want to get a different God. Because if you have to carry your God or keep it from teeter-tottering, your God is no God at all. You see, if you have to make a God, it's not the true God. He made you. You didn't make him. People say, oh, the God of the Bible was made up by a bunch of people just trying to, you know, make themselves famous or make mankind feel better about themselves. Oh, yeah? Read the Bible again. If the Jewish people are behind the Bible, and we know that they are in terms of the Old Testament, why would you write a story about your family being as messed up as a family's ever been messed up? Why would you write a story about your own failures and mishaps? Why would you write a story about some of the main followers being executed and killed? This is not how you would make up a story. You see, the Lord says, Idols are useless. They cannot deliver you in the day of trouble. Our country right now is at a crossroads because we have to decide, not only in the country, but in the culture, in the church, who our God is. And you know that that's really what most of life is about, is deciding who your God is. Is it you? Is it some God that you make up in your imagination that fits well with your view of life, or do you let God be God? Amen. You guys, you kids are doing so awesome. You have been attentive. In fact, I would say you may be as good or better than some of the older people here. I, I, I don't know. I, just kidding, I love you all. Okay, verse 9. <laughs> but I will sacrifice Jonah 2.9. We're almost done. I will sacrifice to you or to thee with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed, Jonah says, I will pay. And then he says this, Jonah 2.9, salvation is from the Lord. What do you think Jonah vowed in the belly of the fish? Well, I know that there's a lot of people who make deals with God at certain tough Seasons of life. Have you ever made a deal with God? Okay, God, here's my vow. If you do this, I'll do that. Right? Can we just sit at the negotiation table just for a while? I'll do... Now, look. In a tight spot, we've all probably done 
Something similar to this. Okay, God, I'm going to get serious. Okay, Lord. Look, I had a couple moments in my life as a Christian, especially the first four or five years, where I was trying to go back to my old life, and I got myself in a tight spot, and I said, okay, Lord, I get the message. I'm going to follow you. I think this is what Jonah did. Jonah actually had thankfulness in his heart from the belly of the fish. And he made some vows. Maybe he said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will go to the temple and I will tell my friends this story until the last breath in my lungs. Or maybe he said, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. Okay, uncle. I'll go. I'll do what you called me to do. Whatever his vow was, he said, look, that which I vowed, I will pay. I will do what I said I will do. You know, the Lord takes vows very seriously. We can brush them aside so easily, but the Lord wants us to follow through with what we've promised. And then he says these words, salvation is from the Lord. See the word salvation? That's the Hebrew word Yeshua where we get the name Jesus. You could render it this way, Jesus is from the Lord. Or Matthew one twenty one says it this way, very similar. You will call His name Yeshua, for He will save His people from their sins. Jonah is a story of salvation. The book of Jonah is about salvation. His own salvation being saved by the Lord's faithfulness and then him going proclaiming to Nineveh the goodness of God. After you get your salvation song, there's only one thing that God wants you to do with it, really. Sing it to others. Once you get saved, He wants you to tell your salvation story. Tell it on the mountains. Tell it on the housetops. Tell other people if they're in a tight spot and feel like life is over, they can be delivered by the miracle working hand of Almighty God. Do you believe that? Go and tell your story. Jonah says, if you get me out of here, (laughs) I will keep what I vowed. I will tell your salvation story. What I have vowed, I will make good NIV, salvation comes from the Lord. There's no other way you can be saved. There's no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus, and Jesus saves. And the only way that you're going to get out of the ultimate spot where humanity is headed, which is, unless the Lord comes in our lifetime, we all have to face the question of our mortality. The one that rescues from sin and death. The one who says, because I live, you will live also. His name is Yeshua in Hebrew. He is salvation. The Lord is salvation. Jesus saves. And Jonah's story is one of salvation. And so through him, Jesus, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to a God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Some of you may ask the question, why do we go to church? One reason we go is to give thanks for our salvation. 
One reason that we come here on a Sunday morning and corporately sing salvation songs is to celebrate what God has done for us. And He deserves it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, Revelation 19.1. So here's the end of chapter 2. Then the Lord commanded the fish. So Jonah had been in there a while and he had prayed and the Lord gave the fish a tummy ache of all tummy aches. And I don't know what the command sounded like, but the Lord does speak fish because he speaks to all of his creatures, right? And it was something like this. It is time to throw up the prophet. <laughs> and the, whatever it was, sperm whale, great sea monster might have said, I shouldn't have ate that enchilada. Oh, man, I shouldn't have drank the water. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have had the seafood enchilada. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the regurgitated prophet with a seaweed turban came to the shore. Do you know they've discovered uh, in archaeology in about the 500 B.C.s from a time... In, uh, from a location in Egypt, an image of someone coming out of a sea monster. And archaeologists and historians uh, talk about that that's probably a depiction of Jonah. And so we don't know the exact location where he was vomited up onto the dry land. But if you've ever seen those movies of someone washed up on the shore, you know, they go through all this stuff, and there's, there's stories of people being on the sea and surviving for, you know, many, many weeks and days. And they end up on the shore, you know, maybe down like this, and uh, they, they begin to grab at the sand. And they're like, <gasps> Can you imagine the joy of Jonah from the belly of a fish? To the coast of Newport Beach. <laughs> that wasn't Newport, but you know what I'm saying. Can you imagine some of the surfers walking by with their surfboard? <laughs> what a seaweed hat that is. That's awesome. <laughs> now, we don't know what the stomach acids did to Jonah's skin, but he might have lost his tan, had a seaweed hat going on, and <laughs> Thank you. And the servant's like, dude, what's your story? It may well be that surfers were the first to get saved. Some of you believe that. I don't know if that's true or not. Sometimes tummy aches are God-ordained. <laughs> At least in this case. And Jonah was vomited up onto the dry land. Boy, that's a story, huh? Hey, uh, how did you end up following God? Why are you here uh, going to school for ministry? Well, uh, uh, see, I was following the Lord, and then he called me, and then I fought him, and then you're not going to believe this, but uh, I was in a fish for three days and three nights, and the fish threw me up. I mean, can you imagine? And all of a sudden, Jonah was a different man. One scholar said, you know, he spent so much time thinking about what was going inside 
going on inside the fish, the science of it and all that, the debates of it. He said, I got so caught up in what was going on inside the fish, I lost sight of what was going on inside of Jonah. See, this story is not really about the fish. It's about a man who ran from God. And a man whose heart was changed. A man who thought, God could have easily given up on me, but he hasn't. A God who saves. Jonah's situation seemed hopeless, but it was not. In fact, this is just the beginning of his story. And this can be the beginning of your story as well. If you found yourself in a tight place, maybe it's time that you write a salvation song and share it with others, especially as you've experienced the Lord's deliverance. Has he given you a second chance, a third chance, 150 chances to make things right again? Can I just say to you bluntly, don't blow it. Keep what you have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We want to live our lives for your glory, and we have so much pushing at us, Lord, in this world, so much to distract and take us off track. Jonah ran from you, but you saved him. You didn't give up on him. He forsook you, but you did not forsake him. And we're so grateful for the salvation stories in this room and those who will hear this message later on the site or on the radio. So many different stories represented here of a God who is faithful, a God who saves. And we're so grateful for that. And I pray that if there are some that are here that have been running or found themselves hitting rock bottom, found themselves in the lowest place and wonder if there's hope, well, this story tells us there is. You could be at the lowest place, think that life and hope is over and God saves. Jesus saves. So I thank you for this story. This story is really my story. It's our story. And you are the God of salvation. And I pray that you be doing a fresh work in your people's hearts. They would have a song to share of all that you've done for them. And I would share my song as well, Father. Help us all. And may it be pointed at your glory and your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen.